This is The Crucible. The JRTC Experience. This is Light Fighter Lessons. In this series, we discuss infantry warfighting skills and lessons learned in a decisive action training environment for large-scale combat operations at JRTC. Hi, I'm Colonel Matt Hardman, the Commander of Operations Group here at the Joint Readiness Training Center, and I'm joined with the illustrious and mighty Golden Dragon 7, uh, Command Center Major Lochnet. So, Sergeant Major, would you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, sir, I joined the Army uh, June of 2000. I'm from a small town in northern Idaho. I'm uh, married to uh, my great wife for 21 years and have three children. Uh, spend a lot of time deer hunting. Um, Are you any good at it? I'm pretty decent at it, sir. Okay. Yeah. I mean, some would disagree, but I'm pretty, I'm pretty decent at it. Sir. The deer would agree. The deer would definitely agree, sir. Okay. Yes, yes sir. Um, I spent, uh, I actually joined the Army. I'm full-blown colorblind, so I enlisted in the Army as a pack clerk. Um, I come from a long line of soldiers, um, so I still want to do my duty. Um, where, I got to ask, where did you start out as a pack clerk? I started out in Korea, sir. Okay. Um, and then 9-11 happened very soon after that. and. Uh, uh, I met someone who said, maybe if you go to Ranger Regiment, they'll let you reclass to be an infantry. And um, went to Rain, uh, 2nd Ranger Battalion after RIP, and uh, they let me uh, reclass to be an infantryman, sir. But you went to RIP as a, as a I did. pack clerk? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's awesome. Yep. All right. So you're probably pretty good at the admin stuff, too. Uh, I, they let me reclass pretty quick. After yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Your strengths were elsewhere. They were, sir, yes. All sir. right. And uh, so 2nd Ranger Battalion, where would you start out in 2nd Ranger Battalion? I started out in the S1 shop for a very brief moment. Yeah. And I went to Bravo Company. I was there from um, 2003 um, to 2014 or 15. Okay. So, so served every position from the new guy to a platoon sergeant in Bravo Company. Um, and then I uh, became the recce platoon sergeant. And then uh, shortly after that, I went to 375 as a first sergeant officer major. Okay. Uh, do you know Captain Dave Sprague by chance? Yes. Or I now major? Very well. He was in my company. So okay. Yeah. yeah. He was a AS3 for me and a, and a company commander. Okay. And like one of my favorite human beings on the planet. So Dave, you got a shout out? Yeah. He was, uh, he was, our, he was my XO as a first sergeant. So I yeah. know him very well. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about him later, I guess, off camera. And so um, how did those experiences uh, shape you, you know, in the range regiment? I mean, here you are, battalion sergeant major, uh, 2nd Brigade, 10th Mountain Division, uh, 214 Golden Dragons, first time back in a conventional unit since Korea. Is that right? Yes, sir. About 20 years. Okay. Yes, and so how, how did your experiences in the range regiment shape the way you thought about being a sergeant major? I think uh, from a very young soldier, I think I had the best fire team leader that's, that God's ever produced. Um, Who was your team leader? Zach Dean was his name. Um, and I think that uh, his ability to show me attention to detail, discipline, um, but not just don't put your hands in your pocket discipline, but actual <laughs> discipline on um, you know, staying awake during an ambush when it's 10 hours and you don't see anything. Um, his attention to detail on PCI and PCCs, uh, I think he really maybe the soldier I am today. Um, and that is what I'm, that is the goal for my battalion is to become that discipline. So, yeah, that's awesome. And it's the difference that, uh, sometimes maybe people don't even realize they've made in our lives. Absolutely. 
Um, it's pretty, that's a huge testament uh, to him. Um, all right, so, you know, as you were thinking about coming to be a baton star major, what, um, you know, what were the things that you, you were focused on? And my follow-up question is, like, hey, how has some of that changed over time? Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I, I was a little bit terrified. Um, <clears throat> I think the first meeting I was in as a battalion sergeant major, I didn't understand about 100 of the acronyms that were said, uh, just because, um, you know, I didn't know what a CTCP was, an FTCP. Um, I did not go to the sergeant major's academy. I went to the SOCOM one. Yeah. Um, and so I think I was most worried about not having the doctoral background or understanding um, the expertise that is required of a, of a command sergeant major. Um, Luckily, I had the right brigade sergeant major to help me out a lot. Um, but initially, I thought I was going to come in and, uh, you know, focus on tactics, focus on getting soldiers to a higher level, um, really focusing on tactics. And I quickly realized that, that that should not be my number one focus. Um, instead, it was how do we become a dis disciplined organization um, and um, serve the brigade's needs and, and make the brigade better. Kind of. Yeah being better for the brigade instead of being the best in the brigade um, is kind of the shift that I made. Well, I, um, you're like speaking my love language. And uh, that's a hard, I mean, that's a hard mental transition in a lot of ways. I mean, for many of us coming up in direct level leadership at the company level, you know, it's, it's trying to be the very, very best. I mean, that competitiveness, uh, which is great and drives us in a lot of ways. But what you described is really, in a lot of ways, harder. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, absolutely. So, um, what kind of what caused you to make that mental shift that I've got to be the best for the brigade, not the best necessarily in the brigade? I think it. I think it was um, about 18 months ago. Uh, we were conducting a brigade brigade training, and I thought we were doing very, very well. Um, and I didn't realize the the burden we were putting on the brigade by some of the sustainment requirements we were not forecasting was hurting the brigade and ultimately the overall mission. Um, and it was kind of a sobering moment that um, I'm here to fight for the brigade. Um, and, and not it's not solely just a battalion operation. And I think that was a very hard transition from the range regiment because as a first sergeant, I never worried about sustainment. Uh, that was always someone else's problem. Um, and so I think that was a major transition, was the sustainment the, um, that, that, that we needed to provide. Yeah, and I mean, in large-scale combat now, you know, new FM uh, 3.0 operations manual uh, out in the fall, and the vision, the principle of tactical formation, in some respects, is even pulling up more. We fight a brigade as part, you know, it's a big team, right? It's just, right now, it's the seven battalions in the brigade headquarters, and if... If we're not doing our part, then that impacts, you know, adjacent units. And that's one of the things I think that the the combat training centers expose. I mean, because we're fighting, we're always fighting as a bigger team. Um, and we have our actions and inactions uh, have positive and negative impacts on, on those around us. I mean, clearly we have to be good at what we do. Um, but we got to be, to your point, we got to be mindful of the consequences that we're having on our higher headquarters as well as adjacent units. Uh, what, what are some examples in this rotation here, 2304, Joint Radius Training Center, what are some examples of where you saw that play out, good and bad, of uh, you know, our actions or interactions you know, having impacts up and laterally? Yeah, I think uh, to start with the good, I think the first one was is 
the ability for the sergeant majors to crosstalk about uh, CASVAC operations. Uh, starting in the rotation, we are very much in our own bubble. Um, and so our data wounds rate was not where it should be at. Uh, it should be zero, but yeah. um, so we, we quickly realized that if we, we can help each other out. Um, and that may, be, that may mean that our role one is not exactly where I want it, but it's the best spot for the brigade, for my role one. Because um, in the end of the day, it's our role one. Um, and so we were able to um, Kazivak casualties much faster by helping each other out. So I think that was a, a positive. Yeah. The negative one was. I mean, we came in, you know, good, but like we got yes. way better Absolutely. as the yeah. brigade star majors or the star majors in the brigade saw the whole field. 100%, sir. Right. And the sustainment rehearsal really pushed that. I don't think. Uh, Star Major Donaldson made a decision out of the brigade. The battalion star majors go to the sustainment rehearsal. Yeah, and at first you were probably all like, "Not it, yes, sir." Initially, yeah. I was uh, I had other things to do, but <laughs> but was uh, but what came out of that was a really good shared understanding of how we can help each other out. Yeah. Um, so it, it worked really, really well. Um, how did you? I mean, let me pull on that for a second. How did that rehearsal get better over time? Because it started out like. You know, and Sergeant Major Donaldson was at, like not awesome, and he wasn't happy. Yeah. Uh, how did it get better over time? I think two things. One is we had the right people there. Yeah. And then two was we knew the in, what information to bring to that sustained rehearsal. Um, the first couple we were definitely trying to figure out. Uh, there was information that that for the brigade we they needed, and we just didn't have it. And so yeah. I think. So what, give me some examples. Uh, I think I think it was like the the what we had on hand, what we what we forecast we need, and then. Um, uh, and then how we could help each other out. Cause but we, we ended up having conversations before we even went to the same rehearsal, um, with the other battalion sergeant majors on, on how we could help each other out. Yeah. I worked for, uh, with a pretty smart guy, John work, you know, he, he talks about like rehearsals and meetings, like 80% of what gets done gets done before we ever show up. Yes, I sir. mean, if we don't come with our homework, we got no chance. Yes, and sir. so we got better at coming with our homework. We came with Logstat. We came with our forecast, understanding where our, our CT, you know, combat trains, command posts were going to be located. Mm -hmm. um, and then you talked about the people. So obviously, you got the opportunity to go to the sustainment. But then the Brigade 3 started coming to the Brigade Sustainment Rehearsals too. Yeah. And that made a difference. It did because instead of just talking about uh, where we we're at now, he was able to kind of forecast what the current operations, what the future operations were going to be. Um, and I think, I mean, you've said it before, sir, to be a participant, not an attendee. And I think that um, initially I went there to be an attendee, um, but I, I would strongly encourage other units to bring um, the right people to those meetings. And a lot of times that is a sergeant major. Uh, he, has the, he has the experience uh, to kind of see what's going to happen next, I think. Well, and I also think like battalion star majors come out of that with the understanding of what the problems are, and they have the gravitas by position to to fix a lot of those Absolutely. things. Absolutely, sir. I think, uh, and and because it's my first CTC rotation, I lean very heavily on my other two star for, infantry star majors. Long time listener, first time caller. Yeah, yeah. All right. Oh, we're going to talk about that in a minute. But they were able to really give me some good ideas. So I think. Enabling the brigade, uh, but also just cross-leveling between the, the maneuver battalions. Um, and and um, an easy example is knowing that um, one of my other fellow sergeant majors was planning on doing a, a log run that I was not tracking. Uh, our G-lock was not open, and so he was able to move those supplies forward to allow us to uh, get, get um, class one a lot faster. And so 
the cross the cross talk really helped out. Teamwork makes the dream work. Yes. What were the critical outputs from from that sustainment rehearsal? The right off the top easily was a was a med cop. Uh, we did not have one as a brigade. Um, <clears throat> Uh, and in a, a good news story is because of that med cop, one of my first runs was not able to get a hold of the battalion, but was able to get a hold of an adjacent battalion uh, and used his um, role one and evac to uh, get those soldiers right. out. And in, I'm in anywhere, but particularly in large scale combat, that's going to be the difference between America's sons and daughters Absolutely. living and dying. Yes. Um, and I'm, you know, I, I've seen a lot of CTC rotations. And I'm of the firm belief that if we put a med cop in a first heart's hand, like we got a chance. Yes, sir. Um, Cause they're going to move heaven and earth. They're going to get our, our wounded where they need to be. But if we don't get that med cop in their hand, like we're just not giving them a chance. Yes, sir. And, and to uh, first arm banner's credit, I mean, he did it. Um, yeah. So isn't it like awesome to get to see that and be a part of it. Yep. And, and he could not get him on FM on that med cop. We had the JBC role names. And so, um, I give him a lot of credit for, and I think that's that's another subject completely completely different. But I think um, leaders leading through action and not just waiting for someone else to solve their problem. Yeah, that's a great example of it. Is my battalion can't solve this problem for me right now? I'm going to figure out a way to solve it. Yeah. So. No, and then and absolutely, and we we can talk a little bit more about that with non commissioned officers and large scale combat. On the on the sustainment part, you know, if you could take the time machine and I gave you a, a day to train sustainment at the battalion and the brigade level, what would you do? I think, I think it all revolves around to um, putting ourselves in an uncomfortable position of just being in the field and not, there's no white van coming to drop off muffins. Um, like there will be an, <laughs> there will be an LRP that's set up. Um, and, I think, and it may or may not have it may muffins. Not have, it probably won't. Um, but I think, I think if I could go back and do it all over again, um, the last two years, we would have been, um, doing combat sustainment in training um at every opportunity absolutely and, and i yeah. think that if the log stack wasn't right then, then the company's gonna figure out how to fight through it um, yeah and so and i think we did okay at that in the train up but it was we're not a t at it yeah i mean i was a support platoon leader as a as a lieutenant and it was like kind of a smaller than fsc bigger in a distro platoon and the rule was like if you didn't turn in log stack, you didn't get hot chow yeah and it only happened once when I was a sport platoon leader. And then they figured it out. Yep. And I mean, that's un unfortunate, but we, you know, that's kind of how we unfortunately learn sometimes. Um, you know, I think one of the challenges and uh, you, you, your team figured it out I and mean, the brigade figured it out, but I think we struggle if we haven't had the opportunity to maneuver as a brigade, we struggle to understand the scale and scope of this thing. Mm -hmm. And so we got like really smart people, first sergeant, sergeant majors, FSC commanders. But, you know, if we had the opportunity to do it tabletop, do a sustainment rehearsal and then execute it as a toot, we'd, we'd, we'd work through a lot of this understanding of why the med cop matters, yeah. why we need to make sure the first sergeant has the role names of, you know, adjacent units so they can uh, action and drive it. Um, and then understand how this whole um, really enterprise actually runs. Yes, sir. All the way from the division support area to the BSB, from the FSCs to the LRPs. Um, I think that the, it's hard to visualize and understand it if you don't see it in execution. And so I, I agree with you. I mean, I think 
the executing tactical sustainment as a way of life is a huge part of it. But then the other is like showing people at scale what this looks like. So at least we come in practice before we're scrimmaging here at JRTC. Yeah, I agree, sir. I think that I think we probably missed an opportunity to do that. I yeah. know we did. Yeah. Um, it's so easy, I think, and especially in a maneuver battalion to think about maneuver. Um, right. And what I've learned. The broccoli eating is yeah, like really important. It is. And, and what I've learned in the last two weeks is that that maneuver doesn't matter if that sustainment's not going to be there. Um, the water, the water thing, um, the water issue, uh, especially coming from Fort Drum here was not, I mean, we had almost a hundred degree shift and, um, you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, but I do think that like the opportunity to, we missed an opportunity that we do those things. We just need to do them, um, under stress. Uh, um, there's no difference between drawing water and putting it in a white van and drawing water and putting it on V, except for it becomes way, way harder. Yeah. Um, and so I think we probably missed an opportunity. If, if I was doing it all over again, platoon live fire, company live fire, we would have stressed those systems. Yeah. I, you know, gravitating towards friction. Yeah. You know, yes, and we want to, we want to embrace the friction. Uh, frankly, when we can, can compartmentalize it a little bit in training so that we can figure out how to solve it and it becomes a habit how to solve it. Yes, sir. Um, versus waiting till we have all the opportunity to solve all the friction all at once. Yes, sir. Because um, this place is a friction factory. It is, sir. Yeah, it's the, uh, it's the deep end of the pool. It is the deep end yeah. of the pool. All right. So first, JRTC rotation. Yes, sir. Right. Long time listener, first time caller. Uh, what do you think? I, I'll tell you, sir, that uh, not because I'm doing this podcast with you, yeah. but I, honestly, uh, I think it's probably density, a, a training event is probably the best I've done uh, because it um, you you have to operate in a very stressful environment and it's hard. Um, and I think that I've probably let myself off the hook and probably my sport itself off the hook by not making those decisions have to be made in a very stressful environment. Yeah. Um, it's about, I think it's probably the best training without actually getting shot at um, because of the duration, uh, because of the tempo of it. Um, I, I think it's probably the best training I've, I've been a part of. And I've been, I, and I feel like I can say I've been a part of some really good training. Yeah, I think um, so too. So I mean, it's really, it, it's unlike anything I've ever done. Well, I mean, that's what our charter is. I mean, my, you know, my view is I got to give everybody here, ideally the worst day of their life here so that we're not doing it in combat. You know, because here nobody is actually going to shoot at you, and we got a pretty good safety net uh, with the OCTs and and all this um, that we can afford, frankly, to fail. Yes, sir. Um, and you know, we learn from that, and then we get back up and we do it again and we do it again, uh, and we can grow here and, and really figure it out. But it is complex problem solving under high stress every single day, it is, sir. over and over again. Um, what surprised you the most? I think what surprised me the most, sir, was uh, I'm, you've, you've met me for a little bit now, sir. I'm yeah. kind of a glass half full kind of guy. Uh, I think what surprised me the most is um, identifying the leaders that can really be uh, relied on. Um, yeah. And I think the other thing um, was the challenges of the sustainment. I, I, I came in here really wanting to focus on maneuver, focus on tactics. My I was comfortable in that arena. Um, and what surprised me most was how hard it is to get water um, to the soldier's mouth. Um, 
and it, it, it I mean it's challenging yeah and, and i think that uh and then doing that well, with very little sleep is even more challenging right it's complex problem solving because yes, it's math it is i mean that's like the it it's math i mean you want soldiers to have water they want to have water it's just it's a math problem i mean it's like the worst it's like the worst world problem or word problem you could have like on a you know math exam right um and and there's just some real math behind it and i think uh colonel farmer could probably attest to it. i think he was standing there when i was trying to calculate um how many how much water is needed per every kilometer uh, based off of our, our trends, and that simple math was very challenging on, on, a, on a hood of a Humvee um, with no calculator. And so um, I think what I thought it would be much easier to do that, um, get that yeah. sustainment. I, I've been told over and over again, focus on sustainment, focus on sustainment, and uh, I'm focusing on sustainment now. Um, yeah. But I think that, that surprised me. I, also say, I would also say that um, the resiliency of the soldiers, I, I thought we were actually going to have more of a problem with, and um, when they got clear guidance and uh, clear task and purpose, they, they, they actually did. I had an awesome experience with your alpha company. So I went up and I think at that point in the fight, you, your team had fought for almost, air assaulted in and had fought for almost 36 hours straight without sleep. Yes, sir. And um, I came across two soldiers that were digging a fighting position and one was pulling security and one was digging and they both were smiling. And I was like, okay, this has got to be like a setup. And I was like, so what are you all been up to? And one of them was specialist Moyer. So he's out there. Hopefully you're, you're going to watch this. And he's like, Hey, sir, we just been fighting, walking, digging, fighting, walking, digging. And I asked how things were going. He's like, Oh, it's, it's great, sir. Like we're getting ready. You know, we're getting to do our job. Yeah. And I, I did, I walked away, uh, impressed with, um, the attitude and mindset, you know, of the soldiers. Um, you know, there's grittiness in 10th mountain soldiers that I, I, I'm partial to. Um, but yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. And I, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because I think sometimes, um, we have a tendency, you know, get off my grass. Um, but the kids are all right. Yeah. And it's just sort of what expectations do we put on them? How do we prepare them for these things? Uh, and if, if we prepare them right and we establish the right expectations, they're generally going to exceed those expectations. Yeah, I, I could tell you, sir, that um, what we say about the generation of soldiers now is the same thing that they, they said about me. Right. <laughs> right. So, George um, Washington was standing yeah, there with some people, right? So, so I think uh, – the conversation about the next generation is not about the next generation, but the leaders that are leading them and, Amen. and how to lead them. Um, right. And so I, I think it's a leader problem. It's not a soldier problem. Right. Um, okay. Well, let, let's it, talk about that. It's a, challenge, it's a challenging problem, but I yeah. think it is a leader problem. Um, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, opportunity. Yeah. Opportunity. It's a leader you, opportunity. You to figure out how to do it. And, right. Uh, and I think that, um, there are challenges in there, but there are some opportunities. Yeah. Um, and I've, I feel like we, I take a lot of pride in our, in our, organization not only not only the battalion but the uh the brigade that um it is not a soldier problem it is a how are we going to lead them um and so i think that it doesn't do us a whole lot of good to talk about the next generation except yeah. for how to lead them yeah so let's talk about that yeah. what, do you, what do you uh what do you think uh, uh, we need to do for generational change in our army 
right? If we're going to yeah. be prepared to fight and win large-scale combat operations, uh, we're good. But none of us, you know, we're inherently not wired to be satisfied. What do we need to do uh, to to make generational changes uh, to to win that that first fight in the next war? I think uh, it, it starts before the war, obviously. And I think the first one is. Um, some people call it the why generation. I call it the intent generation. They just want to know the intent, and they they're going to break their backs and make it happen. I think the other thing is is uh, I think it's easy to not hold them accountable. Um, I think that they want expectations and they want to be held accountable. And I think that we we are doing ourselves in the army an injustice by not doing that. Um, if if what I've found with the new generation of soldiers is that if you give them intent. You give them a task and purpose, and then you hold them accountable. They're going to accomplish that. Um, I I don't think I think the um, the ability of our leaders to know their soldiers and know their expectations and give them good task purpose will lead to success. Or no, I, I agree. I mean, and I think that that accountability has got to come from a place of love. One hundred percent. And once they, um, you know, once they understand that intent. Um, you know, nobody likes being held accountable when we're being held accountable. Yes, sir. Uh, but when they understand the why and they understand that it's tied to um, helping them, one, be better human beings, uh, and two, you know, winning and surviving in combat, um, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I, I tend to think that's the case. And, I, you know, you said at the deep end of the pool, right? Like, you can't cram for the swim test. No, you can't. Right? So how do we prepare our soldiers for the swim test? I think, I think it's got to be incremental. And I think that um, I think that I could have done a much better job uh, putting them in the kiddie pool uh, during, during some other training events. And... Um, and preparing them for the deep end <clears throat> a couple of different ways one is just tactically survivability living in the field uh, those lessons have got to be relearned um, yeah. and by me as well uh, it's been a long time since i spent 14 days in the field right um and i mean everything from how to take care of your feet uh to how, how to maintain your weapon system um but I, but i think that um I don't know if me and my my team would ever share a laugh, but I always knew he cared about me, and I would even say love me. And um, but it was done from a place of I knew he wanted me to be the best soldier that I ever I, I could be. Um, I, I gave a I gave a speech for the uh, NCOA not too long ago, and I remember the words my team leader said to me. He's the first thing he said to me he said, uh, "You're now a member of this team. There's no initiations, only expectations." And from then on, amen. Out, you know, like you, that, like, like, like yeah, I would have run through walls for yeah. that guy. Exactly. And that's, I mean, from, I remember calling my parents. I told this in the speech. I called my parents and said, I found my home. Like, oh, you know what I mean? Like, this yeah. is, this is the guy I was meant to work for. Um, and he also said, uh, this team will only succeed if you succeed. And my job is to make you successful. And like, I, we need those NCOs. In our yeah. Family. So, you know, the, I, I was, it was shared, I was a lieutenant at, at JBLM and somebody gave me a bootleg printed off copies before email was ubiquitous of Sergeant Major Hall's The Fundamentals of Combat and How to Train for It. And you know, the fundamental determinant of success or failure in combat is how a soldier feels about his or her peers and immediate leader. Yes, and you know, your team leader, no initiations, just expectations. Yeah. Um, I think it's huge. I mean I, training if the training's hard enough 
then we don't have to have any other yes, sir, rights of passage. Yes, um, you know, how do we get that? Uh, sir, I, I think it is shared. It's some shared hardship in the field. And I think that uh, I don't know if I've ever been a part of a more tight team than my recce team um, because it was shared hardship. And I think that there is um, the reception integration is wildly and major, majorly important. Yeah. Um, but I think the more time that we just spend together taking care of each other, um, and I think it's different. It's different than when I was a private, I think, probably. Um, my, my sergeant taking care of me was making sure that I knew how to balance my checkbook and take care of my feet. Um, and so I think that the first step is just uh, junior leaders um, taking care of soldiers. And I yeah. think if a soldier feels like he's going to be taken care of, I think he'll, he'll do about it, whatever it takes to win in combat. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, to your earlier point, people like us have to acknowledge that we have to train 100% and develop those yeah. sergeants uh, to do that. And really, it's, you know, your level, you got to train platoon sergeants to train sergeants. I got to, you know, train first sergeants and company commanders to train staff sergeants. And I think I think it's tough because um, um, Time is an opportunity, not a challenge. Is the kind of the way we have to look at it, right? Like that, there is never enough time for anything. But developing leaders should be very high on the priority list. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's interesting. Um, I got some feedback of some surveys that had been done at the CTCs over the years that there's this drop uh, in. Um, believing that the CTCs develop people as leaders. Mm. Um, that people don't see this as leader development. Uh, I, would, I would guess that most people don't see uh, pulling staff duty or CQ as leader development. Yeah. But I would submit it, it can be, and it probably should be. Absolutely. Right? And that leader development, is, like opportunities for leader development are all around us. It's not a PowerPoint slide yeah. deck. Um, I think, and I think that I agree, sir. I think this is a great opportunity for um, leader development. It's also a really good opportunity, if you're not careful, to lose the faith of some soldiers. Um, and yeah. I think that as a leader, um, it there's a there, there's going to be a, a spotlight on you um, because when everyone's tired and everyone's hungry, uh, the soldiers are going to look at you and, and want to know what, what they can expect from you. Um, so I think it's a great opportunity to, to, to show your soldiers that uh, – that you're going to take care of them, that, that you're going to figure it out for them. Yeah. Um, well, hey, I don't want to like, um, you know, one thing that, that stands out with you, Sar Major, is your willingness to acknowledge mistakes. Yeah. Right? And, and, and your brigade commander, Colonel Wentz, in the same conversation that I talked to him, you know, he starts out every conversation, well, I'm, I'm messing this up, I'm not doing this right, I need to do better at this. And... Um, I, that's, I think, a, an important component of this, you know, even and for for a brand new team leader is like, hey, we're not expecting you to do this perfect, but right. we are expecting you to to be introspective about what you're doing yes, and acknowledge when you make mistakes. And I think personally think soldiers are they understand that 100%. they'll accept that a, a sergeant that's been a team leader for 90 days may not have figured it all yeah. out yet. Yes, sir. Um, but we got to be we got to be transparent of of our shortcomings. Yes, I mean, sir. this stuff's hard. It is very hard. I remember telling you that, sir. I, yeah. I don't, I can't, you know, you lose track of time in the box. Right. It's somewhere. It, it happened somewhere out there. there. <laughs> it was somewhere in there. I was probably a little bit tired, but I remember looking at you just saying, this is hard. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's not easy, sir. And, um, but I think if we're introspective, 
and we're trying to get better every single day, um, you know, I, I have an advantage, right? I've got a team of people that are looking at this that get to see it. Uh, I get a little bit more sleep than, than you do. Um, and so I can see over 14 days the growth, mm. maybe sometimes in a way that when you're in the moment, you know, the, the player, the person in the box, the, the man or woman in the arena can't. And um, very, very rare to ever see a unit not grow. Some units grow way faster. I think, um, you know, your unit grew faster in part because of the leadership to be introspective um, and, and take responsibility. And I think that that, you know, generationally, you know, whether it's social media, that it's okay to not be perfect. We just have to be introspective about it and keep working at it. And, and it's an illusion to think that somebody's come down here and figured it all out, right? Because right? this is hard. Um, I could, you know, I, you could put me back. I think I got six rotations now as a cog. You could put me back in command of a brigade and I would still make a bunch of mistakes because right. this is hard. Right. Uh, I'd learn new things. I mean, I'm learning something every single rotation uh, vicariously watching people in the arena struggle, um, work at these challenges that are out there. Um, what, uh, what did you learn about leader development watching some of your subordinates? You know, what, what did you maybe take away of, of how you're going to pick some of them up and help them grow going forward? Yeah, I think, um, I think, we owe it to the junior NCO. Um, I think it's very easy for us to say he's not doing this, but I think the stuff that um, we need to fix, we also haven't taught them. Um, and so uh, I think uh, an easy example is in the defense, you know, going up into an, a fighting area and seeing the um, not good engagement areas, seeing the fighting just right on the road. Uh, immediately I ask myself, what are we doing right now? But then I look back and we never talked about it. Um, and yeah. so there should be an expectation that they know what they're doing. Right. Um, yeah, so, they're not dumb people. They yeah, don't hate America. No, no. They just have never seen what right looks like. 100%. And I think that w the second brigade doing the uh, mission Thursdays has helped out with that, where they're, they are blocking time off for our junior leaders, not just for our junior leaders, but for the senior NCOs to teach the junior leaders, uh, which is hard to do, uh, to pull you know an entire day out. Um, yeah. and, but I think that I don't know if, I have been as um, methodical on figuring out how to, what that glide path of those days looks like. And so I think um, one is just figuring out how are we going to train them on the stuff that we expect them to know, but they just don't know. Yeah. If you, I'm going to put you on the spot, hot okay. takes. If you were going to tell, you know, platoon sergeants, right? The level, two levels down from the baton. If you were going to give four or five uh, areas that you think based off the sample size that you've seen, that platoon sergeants need to focus their self-development on, right? Because the three components of leader development are um, institutional, operational. We just did a big operational. Yep. Uh, and then self-development. What would be the, the four or five things that you would give platoon sergeants out there listening? I think uh, the first one is um, I don't think we have a I, – I don't in, in my battalion, we don't have a good understanding of the defense just because I don't think we've done it. And so I would ask them to uh, get smart on the defense as fast as possible um, so they can help their platoon leader. So their platoon leader is not having to do, do, yeah. do it for them. Um, so, okay, I got to like, 
I'm gonna we're gonna riff on these as okay. we go. Uh, so I, I'll give you the first one. 1939 Combined Arms Maneuver. Uh, it's CMH. You can find it. There's a chapter in there called Miracle about a platoon in the Ardennes that does a masterful job of this and holds up a division for the better part of six hours and arguably has pretty significant impact on the outcome of the Battle of the Bulge. Mm -hmm. So if you were looking for a historical vignette, that's a good one. Um, I think the other part of this is understanding our weapon systems. 100%, sir. Right? I mean, to be able to do the defense, we have to understand what our weapons can and cannot do. And then I think a, a third part is like the defense is just go walk some terrain and think about how would I attack or defend this piece of terrain yes. um, walking around uh, with that mindfulness about defending. Okay. Second well, self-development. You, you sold my second one. So okay. With the weapons one, but. Uh, oh, let's, we can, we can, we can yeah, I, loop well, I, into that. Well, I think it is. I think, uh, you know, the NCO creed is charged to be technically tactically proficient. I think you can't do that without knowing uh, the capabilities of the weapon system, um, specifically the AT stuff. I thought we'd focused on that a little bit, um, but uh, no fault of them. It was a fault of us for not digging into it. Um, but just the employment of the Javelin, of, of the uh, AT systems, is how are we going to employ them in the most effective and survive, and be, and survive it? Um, yeah. And so I, I, would, I would really dig into uh, any AT engagement stuff and the capability of the weapon systems, sir. Yeah. Um, I, think that, I, think we, I think we did a C on it. I mean, I think we passed, but I don't think it was, uh, I think we could do a whole lot better with it. Right. Um, and then I, I think the next one would be um, understanding uh, the supply system and how it affects everybody else. And, and the reality of the fact is, is we drank about half the uh, brigade's water on the first day. Um, um, and so uh, really understanding like what, what does that consumption look like and how does, how does what I'm doing affect the brigade? I don't expect a platoon sergeant to be, thinking too much, too high about that, but he doesn't need to understand what the rates of march um, um, and how consuming those class one is, is going to put a, a strain on the brigade. Yeah, and I think the, which I think you all figured out here in execution is uh, get a stopwatch and time our SOP for how we fill water sources. Yes, sir. Yeah, 100%. Right? And, and how do we practice that? And that's got to be a drill, and we got to rehearse it. Uh, and once we understand that, that can be in our our, our movement and maneuver equation um, because it, it doesn't just happen. No. Uh, we got we really got to practice it. And I mean, at the platoon level, I think it's just, okay, hey, we did that in 21 minutes. Next time, we're going to get it down under 20. And yeah. just really hammering away at it. And then... Um, yeah. Okay. And I, think, I think the last one, sir. Uh, I mean, I could go on obviously for a while, but I think yeah. the last one is the patrol-based activities. Um, I think it not only do, do we need to survive in the in the patrol base, but we got to thrive in them. Thrive. Right? We got to thrive, and also I think that just one of the things I didn't appreciate was the patrol-based activities and the ability for the the battalion to transition to the next thing. Um, the patrol-based activities at the platoon and company level really drive that. How long is it going to take it for us to get in, and how long is it going to take us for to get us to get out? Um, we we did an SOP for our patrol base, but we just did not do it enough. Um, this is where Joe Lockman's rucksack is going every time. Um, I'm only taking one thing out of my rucksack at a time, so when the already sim lands, I, I'm ready to go. Um, and so I, I think we 
if I was a platoon sergeant, I would focus a lot of time on patrol-based activities, occupying, and then uh, how we're getting in and out. Yeah, and that repetition of doing that simple, which isn't simple, right. task, not only does it make our unit better, but generationally, if we do it 100 times in a year, now we have an entire generation of sergeants and staff sergeants that are pretty good at it, and then they're teaching another generation. And, and this is ultimately how we get better at all this stuff. Yeah. So the, the things that we assume people know, they actually know because like generationally it's become embedded in our DNA how we do these things. Yeah, th and I think that um, one thing I did talk to one of, one of my companies about is you're creating a standard, right? And so when you set up a patrol base, that is a private standard for probably the rest of his life. Uh, and I was fortunate enough to have the right team when I gave me the right standard. But I think that uh, if we can figure that out in training, then we can come here and execute, and that is the standard. Yeah. Um, and so there's a lot of... Uh, well, and the, right, new soldiers show up, and they're yeah, valuable. Absolutely. Right? I mean, they walk in, and like they go out to the field for the first time. And if that's how they do it to the standard... They're not going to expect any different. Yeah, Every time I go to the field, this yeah. is how this is. Yeah, yeah. Right. And I think that's why it's so important in training that um, we have to be careful that we're not setting a false expectation of when, when we're going to squad life or when we're going to platoon live fire, it's an operation um, and we're going to occupy. Uh, maybe there's some more rest required, but it's, it's part of the priorities of work. It's not something we just do. Um, yeah. And so I, I, I've learned that uh, every private is watching me all the time. And so... Uh, whatever I'm doing is the standard. And I think that, as, especially as new, senior NCOs, that we acknowledge that and we accept that. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about that. Look, what, you know, based off, uh, you got a lot of experience in the Army, uh, been a battalion star major, um, command star major for, for a while, got the opportunity to come down here to do your first JRTC rotation. Yeah. What, what do you think the role of senior non-commissioned or non-commissioned officers in large-scale combat operations is? I think uh, I'll talk to, speaking of the sergeant major specifically role yeah. real quick, I, I think I came in, uh, you know, when you ask anyone, what is the role of the sergeant major, they, they say met TC or, or they say, or they say move to the point of friction. Um, I don't think, I don't think that's a, a, for me personally, the way I translate it, it's not, uh, I don't think that's hundred percent what it is. I think what I learned, hopefully I learned over time of this rotation was, is how do you maintain the, help maintain the momentum of the battalion? Um, and that could be as the number one man through a door, or it could be spending a day at the BSA trying to find a will. Um, and so, which either is Met TC dependent. It's Met TC dependent. <laughs> right. and, ho and hopefully you're never having to do either one. Right. But right. you could be. But but you could. And, it's, and something always in between there. Right. Um, and I think that at first I was, um, you know, every day I'd wake up and ask my battalion commander, "Where do you need me today?" Um, uh, and I think we, we ended up making that decision on what is going to keep the battalion going in the right direction. So I think that that right there is, and I think it's true at the company level too, and, and arguably it's probably true at the platoon level, that dialogue between the commander or the, or the officer and the senior NCO to get shared understanding of what the problems are in front of us um, is huge. I mean, I think this idea that like, you as a battalion command sergeant major are going to naturally know where you're supposed to be, yeah. or the battalion commander is going to naturally know where you're supposed to be, I think is, is false. But through dialogue of different perspectives, we get, we get to write more often than not. And I, I love this idea of momentum. I mean, you, you know, especially 
um, especially you, um, you're, the right command star major at the right place is like impulse to the formation. And whether that's in the defense, uh, you know, a, a company digging in at the at the critical spot for the battalion, for the brigade, the command star major showing up and through, you know, expertise and energy just provides an impulse uh, to action, uh, I think is pretty powerful. And then, you know, certainly I can think in the offense and particularly for your formation over the last couple of days, you know, fighting, um, you know, towards that last objective to defeat the enemy, you know, senior non-commissioned officer presence, um, you know, provides impulse to action uh, versus passivity yes, uh, is pretty awesome. Um, you got more thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, no, I just think that sort of that, um, I think it, the first three or four days I was either A, focused on walking with a company or I was focused on sustainment. Uh, it was like one or the other all the time. Uh, and I think, I hope that I got it figured out a little bit better by figuring out what is the next move and how can I make sure that we don't lose our tempo. Um, and like I said, that sometimes meant going to the BSA and sometimes it meant driving on a quad with a 50 cal. Um, and so I think that, uh, it is met TC, yeah. um, but I think the, uh, you can't be one way or the other. You can't be on the front line all the time, and you also can't be in the BSA all the time. You know, so, um, you know, for a long time at the combat training centers, you know, leaders would come in and sort of the bumper stickers, we're going to be a learning organization. And I, okay, that's kind of cool. Uh, but, but we're in the business of winning, mm. right? And I think, you know, people that win in combat by default, they learn, mm. right? And so what you're describing is, I mean, you're, you know, spent a little bit of time around you and watching you. I mean, you were very focused on winning. Yes, sir. Right? And, and to win, you had to learn. Mm. Um, but winning was first and foremost, and learning is an enabler to winning. Mm. And, um, you know, watching the growth uh, in, in the organization at solving um, really uh, – the sustainment issue so we don't culminate. So we're constantly pushing that point of culmination further further out. Uh, obviously was, I think, instrumental to the brigade. Um, and that's a, you know, multi-ball juggler problem because it's a, it's a component of, you know, as you described, the, the water, uh, particularly in this environment, uh, ammunition, mm -hmm. which you talked a little bit about. Um, in the defense, it was class four and getting class four to the right spot, but it's also, preserving and building combat power. Uh, and the number one way we preserve combat power is by killing the enemy. By yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Um, and, uh, you know, it, that I think, um, you know, I think a lot, you're fortunate that I think a lot of your first sergeants and platoon sergeants picked up on your example and be able to see that. Um, so, we talked about the leader development training for LISCO. What, what would be kind of your advice, again, to platoon sergeants and platoon leaders out there as they approach training or, or your peers, you know, other battalion SAR majors that are listening? I think uh, I've heard it said before, it's, maybe it's cliche, but we, we got to get comfortable not, not being comfortable. Uh, we got to get comfortable not being or being uncomfortable. Rather. Yeah. And I think that. Um, yeah. Privation is important. It is. And I think that uh, it's hard. It's hard to commit to. And I think that uh, at my battalion level. Yeah. You know, I, I, I grew up, uh, you know, I was a battalion commander in Alaska. You got to live hard to be hard. You do, sir. You know, <laughs> right? so you do. And I think that like, I, I think it's, uh, 
I think we have to commit to it. And, and no one wants to do it. Yeah. And I think that as, especially as senior leaders, um, it, it, it's a real comfortable sitting and talk and uh, drinking coffee, but I think we all have to commit to it. And yeah. I think as, especially senior NCOs, I think we own a lot of that. You I know, think. I mean, something you said earlier, I mean, you know, we don't come in a, in a unit, like we don't stand a unit up, all the privates show up, yeah. you know, this incremental, it, it can't be a gate because the units and the it, people in the unit are in different places. You know, it's like the, the swim groups, we have, you know, new swimmers, we have intermediate swimmers, we have advanced swimmers. So we kind of constantly have to be training and touching all of that all the time. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, this idea of hardship, it, it has to be a degree of incremental. I mean, we, you know, we got to do this smart. I mean, we can't say, hey, guess what? We're all going to do a hundred miler. Yeah. Right. Because like we that's like tossing a bunch of people into the deep end. I mean, what are some examples if you had it to do over again um, that you would do to provide that incremental exposure to, to privation and hardship? I mean, I think it's every time, every time we train, I think we're, we should be thinking Lisco. Um, we talked a little bit about, you know, doing the LRPs, but even more so is um, I, I really think it just needs to become the culture of, Especially, it's easy for the tenth mountain. We should be walking everywhere we go. Right. Um, and so. And the privation's right there for it you. Is. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so I think that uh, I think it, it starts with a culture of we we can fight any terrain. Um, yeah. And, and physical fitness. Um, I think that if I could go back in time, for anyone that's getting ready to go to JRGC, uh, I would have focused less on less on a twelve miles and three hour standard and more on a heavier weight walk as slow as we can for as long as we, as far as we can. Yeah. Um, and so I think that it's just a commitment to uh, embracing um, the list. We all know what we need to do. Yeah. We just need to do it. Yeah. I mean, this um, in Mountain Six and I talked about this uh, a lot while he was down here. I mean, this idea of, of soldier load, mm. um, you know, I think there's a unit load component to this of, okay, every time we're going to move as a company, we got to move 60 ammo. Yep. We got to move AT4s and javelins, and then once we start thinking that way, um, we're going to pack different as a unit, right? Um, we probably got to weigh rucksacks as a force of habit all the time. Yeah. Right. And I, I think we talked about sir, but we messed that up the yeah. first day, right? I mean, yeah. we had six or seven. Pain is a teacher. Yes, and uh, I think um, I'd put out a a packing list. And the assumption was that was the minimum requirement, not the max. Yeah. And assumptions are, will get you killed. Yeah. And I think that uh, we really quickly uh, learned that lesson and changed it. Um, yeah. But the prescri- you've talked about it before, sir. Like, LISCO does not allow us to make assumptions. LISCO does not allow us um, to not understand exactly what mission command is. There, there's got to be a very prescribed. There's no, you can't make an error and quickly recover from it. Yeah. Um, and so I think that uh, we've got to get a lot more prescriptive on our guidance yeah. um, and hold people accountable to it. Yeah, and I mean, your point earlier is we got to explain the intent behind it too. Like right. we're prescriptive with a packing list because we're not, it's not just Hardman's packing list. Right. It's, it's Alpha Company 214's packing list because I'm carrying a mortar round mm-hmm. for the company and I'm carrying a belt of 762 for the weapon squad so that we share this load across the team. And, you know, what's the approach march load? What's the assault load? 
and you can't move the same distance cross country with an approach march load that you can with an assault load. Right. And then it's the expectation of, okay, if I'm carrying a approach march load, I can go to this point and then I need to transition assault load. And then I also need to allow everybody to consolidate, reorganize yeah. to do that. Um, but yeah, I think we got to get down to how much does everything weigh to include the chapstick in the pocket. Absolutely. And I think that, it's two-sided because we, we have to do that, but we also have to uh, – the soldiers owe us – their end of the bargain is, is, is making it what's on their back to the objective, but there's another aspect to it, and that's us making sure we get them what they need right. when, when they need it. And I think um, – Build and maintain trust in the processes and systems. The first time that you make a light packing list and it's 40 degrees <laughs> out and he doesn't get his sleeping bag. Right. Uh, he's yeah, the company trains bag. don't show up. Right. Yeah. And so, And I do think that we, we had a uh, – we had a company that really figured it out, and uh, we're going to try and uh, get that information out um, as best yeah. we can because they figured out how to pack that stuff. Yeah, um, and, and you know, you brought this up earlier, but the more we practice it while we still have the rails on and the right. safety net underneath it, we can make mistakes with the system, recover, learn, adjust it, and so we don't break trust and confidence with the subordinates, but we understand where it failed. Yep to fix it yes sir and so that we have more confidence over time that this is going to work yes sir yeah um okay what's the funniest thing that happened to you at jrtc uh i think uh it was probably about day seven or eight um and i would say too that uh fighter management we talk about a lot with with uh with people i think leaders have got to be careful i i definitely hit the wall um and I, i remember having a conversation with my commander and at one point he asked me what we were talking about um, and I think I was talking about a little league uh, baseball game I was in at one point, uh, but I'd completely lost track of everything that was going on. <laughs> you went to another place. Oh, I, was in another, I, was the, I saw the wizard. <laughs> Me and the wizard were having a conversation. Um, but uh, yeah, overall, uh, I think that was probably the point where I said I should probably sleep for an hour or so. Yeah. And I think uh, I told the ROCs, I said, if I was doing this rotation all over again, it's one of the things I would do is make sure I get some sleep uh, yeah. a lot sooner. Um, but Yeah, I mean, I, you know, none of us uh, would drive a car drunk, right? None of us would fly an airplane drunk. We probably shouldn't fight a battalion or a yeah, company sir. or a platoon drunk. Yes, and, and at some point, the sleep deprivation puts us in a place that we're impaired. And it's hard managing rest cycles. And, and you know, Geronimo doesn't help. He does not. No, he, he does, does not, not help. But that management of rest cycles is, is a real thing. And, and the days of like being a hard ranger and you know push through it, like the, we got plenty of science that says that that doesn't really work. And I think and I think that we, we that's what that's why JRTC is 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 so good is because um, you know if you go to the field for three days, you, you don't need, you don't need to eat for three days. I mean you you can last. Uh, what JRTC draws out of you is uh, how are you going to sustain. Um, and at the pace I was on, there's no way I would have sustained it. And so it almost is a forcing function in a controlled environment uh, that allow you to kind of get to get to the end and know where it's at so you don't ever go there again, I think. Yeah, so right on. That's the power of GRTC, I think. So. All right. So uh, you get closing comments, and you, you got a closing question if you want to ask me anything. Okay. Uh, I think uh, the one thing that I've absolutely learned, sir, is that for our, non- our non-commissioned officers, um, We've got to lead through action. 
Um, and the one, the, the platoon sergeant first sergeants that I saw at their very best were the ones that when they saw a problem, their first call was not to the battalion, not to their company, but trying to figure out how to solve that problem. Because um, in the LISCO environment, there, there's not a cop every 500 meters. Um, there's not an ISR platform watching them. Um, and so I think that JRTC allows us to, to highlight the people that are able to figure out problems. Um, and so I think that's probably what I'm going to be focusing on is trying to develop training scenarios to allow that to happen. Um, awesome. Yes, sir. And the question I have for you. You got a question? Um, what, what does what does the future of JRGC look like as far as um, the LISCO environment? Are there any other things that we're planning on doing to highlight uh, fighting in the LISCO environment? Yeah, that's a great question. And so, um, you know, one of the things that ForceCom is driving uh, the combat training centers to do is think about how we modernize along with the Army for the Army of, of uh, 2030. And um, that's one of the line of efforts we have here is to, to not just make it better for tomorrow, but make it better for four or five years from now. And, um, you know, we have work to do, uh, just like everybody. I mean, we're pretty introspective. We do an after action review after every single rotation. And, and um, you know, we, we have work to do with replicating the operating environment, making sure that we have the right emitters here to replicate the threat. Mm -hmm. Uh, in, increasing the transparency of the battlefield uh, through the collection platforms that we have here. Um, so the, the battlefield is transparent as we expect it will be uh, going forward. And, you know, primarily that's with electronic warfare as well as, as drones. Um, we have work to do in improving how the 21st Airborne Division, the, the replicated division we have here, um, operates as a division so that as brigades fight as part of a division, we're giving a realistic um, example of what a division is going to be doing, uh, not just in terms of what the division can do for the brigade, mm -hmm. but frankly, what the division is going to demand of the brigade right. and, and, and demand in terms of terrain management, um, mm -hmm. at, I think in windows and time. Uh, requiring the brigade to maneuver on behalf of the division to enable fires and other things. Um, those are particularly areas that I think, you know, we need to continue to grow and improve. Um, improving uh, the operational environment uh, to, frankly, enable some of the capabilities that we know we're likely to have in 2030 uh, going forward. And so those are things that we're very focused on. Um, I think, you know, a second, you know, operational environment, I think a second is uh, with what we do with the OP4. So the OP4, um, this rotation, they fought their command post uh, competitively in the box okay. so that they could be found and targeted. Mm -hmm. um, we jammed their communications for nine hours. Uh, so the Geronimo had to fight blacked out for nine hours uh, without any emission super frictionous for the right. enemy. Uh, I think that's realistic. It's good because it, it creates windows and op of opportunity for brigades to take advantage of. It's also good because frankly, we're learning TTPs that we'll be able to share with the army right. uh, going forward. Um, and, you know, also with, uh, we're getting some different equipment here, uh, particularly uh, replication of ADA threat uh, going forward. So some of that will be coming online in the next year as well as a uh, uh, motorized uh, capability here uh, for the, for the uh, OP4. And those are areas that we need some work. And then um, finally with the OP4, it's that the, 
you know, they've got to fight. We've got to give the best sparring partner that we can. And so, yeah. you know, the understanding of uh, threat doctrine out there in the world, but really we want to, we want to give the, best, the, the hardest problems. Yeah. So fighting through, you know, combined arms maneuver, uh, making contact with sensors, mm-hmm. right? Which is something that the op four does well and is we're driving them to do better. And so this rotation, we employed uh, multiple swarms uh, that not only collected, but were able to, to drop munitions. Um, and we owe that. We owe an environment um, that's harder, frankly, than what we expect to encounter in combat. Um, going forward, we're going to make their sustainment more competitive because mm. uh, we want, frankly, brigades to target their sustainment in C2. Mm. Um, that's generally what Geronimo does to brigades. They do, yes, sir. Um, and, then the, and then the final is we owe uh, to continue to grow leader development at our level uh, to help our OCTs be the best coaches possible. And so we're, we're getting some help uh, from the Army. Um, we got some folks from the Combined Arms Center that are coming down, going to give us some feedback on the way we coach, help us be better coaches going forward. Um, and, and I think if, if, if we expect units to be introspective, learn and grow to win, then we got to do the same thing to help uh, our formations learn, grow, and win. So that's what we're doing going forward. I, I will say, sir, that a uh, shout-out to the OCs. I heard a lot of things about it before I came here. Ours were phenomenal, and they focused on coaching us. Um, I learned a lot from them, so yeah. I appreciate the opportunity to work N- with them. Not the Joint Readiness Testing Center. No, it was. It would, I, um, didn't, I didn't feel that way either. Awesome. So, I'm glad to hear that. I appreciate the feedback and, um, you know, appreciate the way your team, uh, you know, got after every single day to be better and definitely made us better. I learned a lot from this rotation. It's a ton of fun. So thanks yes, for your sir. time, Sergeant Major. Appreciate thanks, it. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on The Crucible, the JRTC experience. The Joint Readiness Training Center is the premier crucible training experience. We prepare units to fight and win in the most complex environments against world-class opposing forces. We are America's leadership laboratory. Again, we'd like to thank our guests for participating. This podcast was created and produced by Mr. John Mabes. It was recorded and edited by Chief Thomas Rich and researched by First Lieutenant Anthony Cho. Intro vocals were done by Mr. Robert Chopper. Special thanks to Captain Jermaine Branch and Mr. Jeff England from Public Affairs. Be sure to like and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest warfighting TTPs learned through the crucible that is the Joint Readiness Training Center. Follow us by going to https colon forward slash forward slash l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e forward slash j-r-t-c. We'd like to thank our partners at the Center for Army Lessons Learned of the Combined Arms Center, especially the JRTC Call Observations Detachment. Be sure to follow them on social media as well. Follow them at https colon forward slash forward slash www.army.mil forward slash C-A-L-L. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and review us wherever you listen or watch your podcasts. And be sure to stay tuned for more in the near future. The Crucible, the JRTC experience, is a product of the Joint Readiness Training Center.